Hey, welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broaden our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I'm here with Michael. Hello. And Jason. Hey, everyone. What's up, guys? How you doing? Doing great. I'm doing okay. Having a little... A little chocolate. A little snack. <laughs> you've little got, snack you've got like a little nice. snack bar set up over there this time. Well, because I didn't want to get judged for rattling the paper. <laughs> oh, you would be judged, sir. But where, So I have a peanut allergy and a tree nut allergy, so I, but I used to love peanut butter, as Jason knows, because I used to have a finger jar in our apartment. Oh, my God. That like, it was just, you don't, you don't make a sandwich out of that peanut butter, because that's where Michael dips he, his... He wrote finger jar <laughs> on this jar of peanut That's where Michael butter. dips his finger into to eat peanut butter but then i developed an allergy and from like, too much peanut butter probably apparently. probably from too much peanut probably butter. from eating it off your finger like some sort of a heathen you couldn't use a spoon i, I never people understood do that. that people do wow. that yeah well um so then trader joe's came out with a sunflower butter um like little Reese cup things yeah do you and like land a sponsorship with trader joe or something i or? wish i did but <laughs> jason's wife so kindly always makes sure that i have a bag of these when i'm here and she's a very sweet lady. So we're a podcast that talks about film. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and food. So snacks, I've heard. People with allergies. Um, hey, man. COVID's been rough this last few weeks. So I need my chocolate. And okay. My, oh, snack okay. away. We're not judging. Yeah, go ahead. I need my chocolate and I need my Moscow Mule for the honor yeah. of Yeah. A couple of us are drinking some Moscow Mules because we have a um, kind of a Russian-themed movie today. Right. This is our first listener episode of the year. And we have a cool, like, the guy actually wrote us, like, a little letter about this film. He's very passionate about it. So we're going to get into all of that later. But first, as usual, we're going to talk about what we've been watching. And I have another podcast shout-out, like I've been doing here recently. Go for it. Because we are part of the Prescribed Films Podcast Network. Uh, We're under no compulsion to shout-out any of these other shows. But in my time, I've decided to listen to everyone else. Check them out. See what they're about. Check it out. So the one Thank I've you, checked out this time is Bigfoot for Breakfast. Bigfoot for Breakfast. I really do love that name. So if you know me, you know I love paranormal stuff. Mm-hmm. All the weirdness, all the creepiness. I listen to a lot of paranormal podcasts anyways. And they are a research-based podcast that is dedicated to the exploration of anything mysterious. Ooh. Their subjects are broad and varied and include conspiracy, UFO, cryptozoology, paranormal disappearances, and many other strange occurrences. Uh, there's two hosts, Sarah and Samantha, and they, I think on their website, it said they had like 10 years or so of experience with like researching and looking into stuff like this. Hmm. It's pretty good. It's quite good. I really had a look. I really, the editing is what really stuck out to me. They kind of have that, like there's lots of cuts in it, but it gives it that NPR feel where it's like very professional and very like structured. Nice. Nothing like what we do much better. (laughs) It's much better. (laughs) Um, and they both have very good, like literally like radio quality sounding voices oh very cool um very well, good very informative what's their style are they like also like... unlike us because i'm sitting here and being by tropic cookies now. <laughs> right yeah. sorry jason what was your question are they kind of uh like skeptical or are they sort of embracing it or is it just sort of a neutral from the ones you're... i've listened to it's kind of a neutral vibe like they'll just present like this is the facts that are known this is like this person's account this is this person's story and they sort of just leave it up to you that's cool. Yeah, they I don't, get behind They that. don't like push any specific like, well, this is obviously stupid. Just like Fox News. They're just like Fox <laughs> News. They don't, they don't push anything they're on They're fair you. and balanced. Fair and balanced, yeah. Excellent. Um, I don't think they're going to like that comparison. <laughs> I'm sorry. Don't. <laughs> or they might. I I know. Know. <laughs> just know that Michael said that and he hasn't listened, so he doesn't know what he's talking about. I have no idea. <laughs> I somehow don't. Um, no, but it's super fun, super informative. I think like 
I'm so deep in it. I don't think they ever had any topics that was like a new revelation to me, but I think if this is like something that interests you that you want to get into, they're very informative, very thorough, and they have like show notes with links to all of the stuff they reference. Oh, very cool. So, you were probably instantly. Yeah. yeah. You were like, show notes, tell me more. I was like, oh, I love this. <laughs> um, they haven't had an episode in a while, and I kind of poked around their socials to check them out. It seems like they've done some like convention appearances and panels and things like that, and there's rumors of a new season coming back. So. Okay, I was hoping they didn't like disappear or something. They they investigated the wrong mansion. <laughs> they, and something yeah. happened. Do you need to check on them? Are they okay? <laughs> so yeah, uh, Bigfoot for breakfast. Super fun. Super cool. I hope they come back. Cool. I'll we, check them out. We'll reach out. We'll be like, hey, are you guys okay? <laughs> And if they give us like a generated bot response, we know that they've d- d- <laughs> they've, dug, they've dug a little too far. Uh-oh. Which can happen in these things, as we know. As we know. All those movies didn't lie to us. <laughs> All right. What have you guys been watching? Uh, I'll go first. Okay. I, uh, actually, this is kind of a rewatch for me, but mm-hmm. it's been so long since I originally saw it. Like, we're talking the late 90s or something. Um, Mill of the Stone Women. Oh, this has got a big restoration, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's streaming on Arrow and on Shudder right now. Didn't um, Lance and Erica actually do that one too? A long time ago? I Did they? I think it was one of their earlier episodes, yeah. Oh, cool. Look at me. Delving into the back catalog of fellow (laughs) podcasters. Nice. Well done. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, it's 1960. Uh, It's uh, Italian, uh, directed by Giorgio Ferroni. And I'll just kind of read the little synopsis here real quick. Uh, In the 19th century Holland, a professor of fine arts and an unlicensed surgeon run a secret lab where the professor's ill daughter receives blood transfusions from kidnapped female victims who posthumously become macabre art. Wow. And it's gorgeous color. This came out actually before uh, some of the bigger, like, Mario Baba films that we're all familiar with. Mm -hmm. But it's very much kind of like a Hammer film meets House of Wax meets uh, Eyes Without a Face. Wow. Good references, yeah. Yeah. So I, I highly recommend that it. it's very good. It's kind of, it's a slow burn. You know, it's one of those great movies that you can just turn on and just spend time with. And mm-hmm. if, you, if you like a slow burn film and you like just gorgeous cinematography, it's for you. I've been actually, since I listened to that episode a while back ago, I wanted to, I really wanted to watch that movie. But at the time, I don't think there was a good transfer of it. They were making such a big deal. I remember some of the festivals last year, they actually screened the new print. Cool. Yeah, and it's yeah. just streaming, it was gorgeous. So I don't know what an actual you know, physical copy would look like. I'm sure Dustin will pick that up on Blu-ray and let us mm-hmm. know. Probably, yeah. <laughs> as soon as you mentioned it, he was like, well, You I would dig it. I mean, if you're a fan of like Hammer or Bava. If, or if you give it the wreck, then yeah, it's, it's good as a bot. I mean, all you had to do was say Hammer, and I was in. Yeah, yeah. right. I cool. Was in. Yeah. I'll go next. Okay. I've been delving back into the uh, Shawscope box set. Yes. Cool. I promise I'm not just going to do every film sequentially, but this one really... Who gives a fuck? Just do every <laughs> film sequentially, because they're good. That list you sent me is yeah. good. Um, so I watched The Boxer from Shantung from 1972. I don't think I've actually seen that one. I haven't seen that um, So just the synopsis, leaving the poverty of his life in Shantung to seek fortune in Shanghai. The Boxer is drawn into a world of corruption, gang warfare, and evil, where his only protection is his famed fighting technique. So while King Boxer was a very much like traditional kung fu martial arts sort of movie thing going on, this one is almost like a crime film that happens to have martial arts in it. And there's like these different gangs that are kind of running the city, and your lead is just this guy who's there like trying to find fame and fortune. He's poor. He's doing whatever odd jobs he can to make money. 
And he kind of starts to realize that, like, through his fighting that he's so good at, he can, like, actually rise up and become, like, some of these other people that are, like, running gangs and running the city. Hmm. And it's almost like this weird martial arts version of Scarface. Because you go through, like, his rise to power, and he, like, builds up and becomes more respected and known in the city. And you know, snort a mountain of cocaine at any point? Like, Scarface, things kind of go awry, and at the end, you know, he <laughs> suffers this, this great fall for his, uh, his hubris for Uh-oh. everything. yeah. Hmm. Um, super entertaining. Very much like a darker tone compared to King Boxer. So I was impressed at, like, the range you could do while it's still, like, a martial arts film. It went in like such a different direction that was really impressive. I think that's one of the cool things about the Shaw Brothers stuff is that it was kind of like you went to them and you had an idea and they're like, well, is it good? And they're like, we think so. They're like, <laughs> okay, we'll do it. Yeah, because I think from afar, you someone will look at them and just say, well, all of these are the same movie. Which one's the best one? I'll watch that one. And then there's no other reason to check out yeah. the rest. Like they're all, everybody would assume like, oh, it says Shaw Scope. It's all Chops Hockey stuff. Mm-hmm. No, they did a yeah, lot of different stuff. Watching them now, I'm noticing there's like so much particulars in each one that they really have their own like style and feel to them. There's a great documentary that I watched a while back ago that I don't think it was that Kung Fu Fist one. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll find it for you because i think you'd really dig it it really focused on shaw brothers stuff and like them cool you know like their production style i think you'd dig it a lot i would be interested to see that yeah is there a documentary on the box set i don't believe so no there's a lot of like commentary and interviews and stuff there's a documentary on on streaming on arrow that may be the one you're thinking about michael it might have been let's check that out Hmm, cool well i did i really hope we haven't done this one I can't remember if we have. We'll find out in a minute. Um, I know you've seen it, Jason, but it's um, came out last year, I think. Really towards the very beginning of the pandemic, it was one of the first movies that just dropped straight to streaming. Um, but I never watched it. But I finally watched Bill and Ted Face the Music. <laughs> yes. We haven't done that one, right? No, I don't think so. I think so. Jason like maybe mentioned it Did in I? passing I at one point. But no one's, yeah. no one's like, I watched this movie. Here's my thoughts. Man, I really liked it. <laughs> it's fun. I mean, it's, it's exactly just, what it is. It's harmless fun. <laughs> it's know? fun, and like the whole time I was I was watching it, though, I was hearing Dustin in my head talking about the reboot cools and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think this one did it right. It didn't not like it nodded slightly to the first two movies, but mm-hmm. the rest of it was just like, okay, we embrace that this is just goofy as shit, and we embrace that our characters are. But like, it kind of has its own plot, right? It doesn't just like redo yeah, the first film. It's the same thing. It does. Way. So basically, like from the first film, you're told George Carlin tells them, like, you know, the Wild Stallions are going to unite the world or mm-hmm. whatever. You're going to unite the universe. And this one is basically, they've never done it. Mm-hmm. You know, like they've, after Bill and Ted's bogus journey and they go to hell and everything, like they just end up not doing it. Yeah, they, 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 <laughs> they live in a neighborhood, they live right next to each other. <laughs> they they talk to their wives and um, refer to them. They always say, we love you. Like, <laughs> And their daughters, they each have a girl, and they call Bill and Ted both, they call them dads. Yeah. It's plural. It's always dads. They're like so interconnected with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. The jokes, honestly, I thought the jokes landed well, uh, just because they even, they, they made a joke. The opening scene is them playing... Um, their stepmom's wedding, which if you've seen the original, which I watched, God, like a billion times. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Growing up. It was one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, and there's always like the joke about um, uh, their stepmom. Mm-hmm. And so now this time the stepmom is marrying um, uh, 
Bill's brother, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which then makes like he goes into like it actually makes him his own father. <laughs> and it's just so funny that they took that joke and just ran with it extra. Wow. Um it's got a really fun kind of um oh cameo cast, like Dave Grohl pops up once in a pretty yeah. funny scene. Yeah. Um I don't know if you noticed it at the time, Jason, but the guy who plays the robot Mm-hmm. Who's sent to kill them is the guy with alopecia from Barry. Oh yeah, right. Yes. Who is fucking yeah. hilarious? Which hmm. is another great show that yeah, a lot really of people good. haven't seen. It's just goofy. It's silly. <laughs> it's streaming on Hulu, so it's you know it's not a heavy watch. But if you liked Bill and Ted, it's the you know what you're getting into. But it was I don't know. It makes me smile thinking about it just because it was so silly of a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, William Sadler returns to play Death because um, he was Death in um, Bogus Journey. William Sadler is a national treasure. He, uh, they talk about why they fired him from the band because he just kept doing 40-minute <laughs> bass solos during all the shows. <laughs> and that's a problem? That's yeah, a problem. apparently it's an issue. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, Bill and Ted face the music. Nothing special, but I think it's, I think it's nostalgia done right. Personally, I think I can convince myself enough that it's not a reboot cool that maybe I'll. Oh yeah, no. Watch. No, it really. Uh, Kristen Shaw is also in it. If you're a fan of her, yeah, she's great. She's um, she shows up. There's just a lot of fun people that pop up, and they're they're on purpose. You know, mm-hmm. they're not like, hey, look, look who it is. It's part of the joke. Nice. So it's and it's quick too. I think it's like an hour forty minutes. Not really. Oh, they didn't want to do like a three-hour epic. <laughs> no, no. Evil did not die tonight. They, you know, they're trying to save the music. So this is our first listener episode. We're covering the Beast of War. Not first listener episode ever. No, for the year. For the year. Uh, We're covering the Beast of War, a.k.a. The Beast from 1988, directed by Kevin Reynolds. And a listener named Nick recommended this to us. Hey, Nick. And he wrote us a pretty lengthy message about it because he was very impassioned about this film. I appreciated it. So he said, uh, hi guys, a while back I stumbled across a movie I had never heard of. I was completely blown away, and ever since I've been desperately trying to convince everyone across movie fandom to give it a shot and hopefully drag it out from obscurity. This movie is called The Beast of War, a.k.a. The Beast. Uh, It was only released in two screens across the whole U.S. by Columbia Pictures, and I kid you not when I say this is the best Hollywood film you've never heard of. Uh, he goes on to say, Quentin Tarantino's old writing partner, Roger Avery, has it down as the best movie of 1988 on his Letterboxd, and he also has it down as one of his 20 Desert Island films, with Apocalypse Now being the only other war film in that list. It has a rating of 7.3 on IMDb, 3.5 on Letterboxd, not a single critical review on Rotten Tomatoes, but it does have an audience score of 85%. And he says, I'm reaching out to get more and more podcasts to try to check it out and review it and encourage people to go on Letterboxd and write up reviews for it. I think it would be great if a company like Criterion or Shout Factory, etc. could get their hands on this and give it the exposure it clearly needs. Please seek this film out. It's available on DVD and streaming, so it won't be difficult to track down. And if you do see it, let me know if you agree with me that this might be one of the 10 best American movies of the 1980s. One way or another, we need to find a way to raise this movie's profile and prevent it from its continual obscurity once and for all. Well said. Very well said. 
And that's like one of the things I've always talked about with this podcast and doing it is like, I want to find these movies that people just love mm-hmm. that have somehow just gone missing and forgotten. Yes. And you know, we will never be like some trendy influencer in film podcast or anything, but we're, we're one pebble in the pond in support of stuff like this. Right. So well, yeah, even might. if one person watches this movie, <laughs> they may tell someone else and then it mm-hmm. spreads, you know, that's how COVID happens. <laughs> so let's do like a better version of COVID, but with, with, <laughs> with, good movies. with the good love movies. of film. Yeah. yeah. Um, so thank you, Nick, for reaching out to us and writing us about this. He was also very kind and sent us some links, which was pretty cool because yeah. it basically already did half our research for <laughs> very us. Very informative. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> and thorough. He's a good man. And thorough. And thorough. So I guess the first place to start is the genre, which it's a war movie. Yes. I don't we haven't think, done any. I don't think we've done one, no. Movies, no. I don't know if we need to super define what they are because that's one of those ones where it's kind of just on the tin, right? It's a war movie. People fight. <laughs> it's, a, it's about a war. Yeah, you've got armies and they clash, and it's set during it's, war. Jason, it's a war movie. Jason, no. <laughs> <laughs> when one army hates another army. <laughs> uh, specifically, yeah. What war are we talking about? This we're time? talking about the uh, Soviet-Afghan war. This is set in 1981, and there was a nine-year conflict where the Mujahideen fought a guerrilla war against the Democratic Republic of Afghanistan and the Soviet Union. Let's not confuse that with the um, however long war that the United States mm-hmm. tried to do the... Exa- or any war in Afghanistan. Yeah, <laughs> tried to do the exact same tactics <laughs> over and over and over again. Which I think we may notice as we talk about this film, there's a bit of a, a, bit of a timeless quality to the uh, themes and messages. Oh, yeah, yeah. you're watching it and you're like, man, you guys just should have watched The Beast and before you invaded <laughs> Afghanistan because it came out before that. So, yeah. Um, and you know, I was reading some of the background on this, and it was interesting because I think it was like '78. There was a political coup there, and that uh, Democratic Party. You just said it, Jason, and I already lost the name. Democratic yeah. Republic of Afghanistan. Yes, yes. They like took control, and then like reached out to the Soviet Union for support. Right. Yeah. The uh, Democratic Republic wanted to modernize Afghanistan, uh, but of course, their methods were. Draconian and uh, what's the word? A little too communisty. Mm-hmm. And let's not forget that the United States hates communism. Hates it. And in a lot of ways, this conflict is kind of uh, part of like the whole proxy war thing of the Cold War, which was like a larger thing all through. Yep. This yeah. Time it's pretty much uh, the Soviets, Vietnam. But, but uh, particularly the Mujahideen, a lot of people in Afghanistan were completely against. The modernization. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to change their ways. You know, they were old, they were sacred, they weren't going to change, so they decided to fight the Soviet Union. And what did the United States do? Uh, helped them. Yeah. <laughs> gave, gave them weapons. Exactly. Gave them aid. We were like, wait, the, you guys teamed with the Russians? Fuck those guys. We're going to give you some guns. You want some yeah. guns? Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> So I think there's no better place to start on this film. They're like, oh shit. Okay. Well, I mean, the, the Mujahideen, a lot of the leaders basically became the Taliban years yeah. later. It's good, so. good to note. Yeah. That might make it Oops. weird, I think, if you're coming at this from like a modern lens. But I think you really just have to take it as like a slice of the time that it's set in. Right. It's very easy. And like, as me, the, the panel historian with the actual degree in that one, mm-hmm. you have to very much be careful about what lens you look Right. Look at this well, through. It's, it's not black or white. You know, there's a lot of <laughs> components yeah. of, of these wars. And, and so I think it's, it's 
It might be a little hard for some viewers to watch this film, though, without looking at it through the lens of the United States involvement in Afghanistan, because that's what we know. Mm-hmm. You know, that's so much what we're used to mm-hmm. and what we see. It's paralleled here very well. Like, you see yes. a lot of things where you could easily look at this and be like, this is just the United States involvement <laughs> there. But Yeah, I actually got Tiffany to watch this with me, and I, I kind of gave her the synopsis. And then we kept watching, and like the early part, she kept being like, when is this set? What word did you say this was <laughs> <Yeah>. again? <laughs> well, speaking of, we should probably briefly say what the synopsis of the movie is. Yes, what is this movie about? Basically, it is about a, a Soviet tank crew uh, that gets lost during an operation. Uh, they're off by themselves, separated, and uh, a band of Mujahideen are tracking them, trying to destroy the tank and kill the crew. For a good reason. Mm-hmm. Yes. As the film opens... <clears throat> God, it was fucking rough, man. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, it opens with a couple of tanks just destroying a village. And not just destroying the village. It's they, the way it starts, too, because like it opens on like shots of the village. Yeah. And kind of just sweeping through, and it's very serene. It's normal and, people just doing normal like mm-hmm. survival things. I think it's pronounced Pashtun. Uh, it's a Pashtun village. It's a particular group of people in Afghanistan. Oh, yeah, because um, the language that's spoken is a specific dialect. Yeah, yeah uh, Pashto, I think it's called. It's, I uh, think, forgive us if we massacre some of these words. I'm pretty sure Pashto is one of the um, specific um, dialects of Arabic that is spoken throughout most of Afghanistan. Cool. Because uh, that's one of the things that, like, Pashto is apparently much harder than Arabic. So the United States um, they were looking for people who had language, linguistics, like, gifts kind of abilities and we're sending a lot of them to school to learn Pashto because hmm. it's very hard for uh, native Arabic speakers to speak Pashto. Interesting. See, I knew you'd be good for this film, Michael, because it's right in, right in your wheelhouse. Because the Middle Eastern history yeah. thing. And, yeah. <laughs> Imagine that. Uh, it's, but yeah, it's this peaceful, serene village and then just suddenly these two tanks roll up and they just lay waste to the place, man. Yeah, blowing just, everything up, setting fires, killing livestock. Uh, poisoning the well. Poison the well. And they really go for it with the effects. Like, you get all these long, wide shots where you just see the destruction full on. Like, mm-hmm. they don't shy from anything. And this is one of the times I'll just talk about the beauty of practical filmmaking. Yeah. Yep. Because the fact that all this is in camera and real, you know, they're blowing up real structures. You know, mm-hmm. you've got a real tank. You've got real people. It adds so much I think I saw they said they shot this in Iran, I want to say, or Israel. Israel, Israel. yeah. yeah. Yep. Definitely not Iran. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not Iran. Um, but yeah, it's just... Because I could see this being made now, and it would be all CG, yeah. too slick, and fake looking, and, and it will lose that punch. Or it will cut, so you never see the actual destruction, so you don't feel yeah. the true dan like yeah the punch yeah. you don't feel mm-hmm. what was happening to the people mm-hmm. right yeah and they're rolling in the village and <laughs> the group of women come out and I'll, maybe we should talk about that quote at the beginning of the movie i have it down here because i wanted to talk about that it's from a uh rudyard kipling yes uh the young british soldier yes uh it goes when you're wounded and left on afghanistan's plains and the women come out to cut up what remains just roll to your rifle and blow out your brains and go to your god like a soldier. Yep. And these women come out throwing stones at the tanks. And they're mm-hmm. climbing on top and banging on it. And it's like, damn. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's hardcore. I love it. Which I think is important to note because um, 
and it still is shown here. The culture is still mm-hmm. very patriarchal. You know, like it is no, you go back and do what we think you should do. Right. You're not supposed to be in this fight. Mm-hmm. This is us. God ordained us to do it. Because they have a con that's kind of like the one who calls the shots. Yeah, it's essentially like a warlord for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, we, we see them very early on, like women taking an active role, which we'll see again, which I think is yeah. such yeah, a fun payoff. There's a lot of cool, like, setup callback in this film. Like, there's that, and one of when they're doing those opening, like, shots, one of them is on some wild dogs. They're just, like, hanging out on the outskirts of town. Yeah. And that's like just sort of an ominous thing they show you that then there's payoff later for. Yeah. Um, the, I th- and we see very early on, like there is one person basically left after they've just destroyed this village mm-hmm. who is a, takes his opportunity and, you know, knows he's going to die. Yep. Because he doesn't stand a chance, but tries to kill as many of them as possible because they think they've got the village. Mm-hmm. They don't think anybody's left. And this guy comes along and does whatever he can, you know. I mean, he kills quite a few, I think. And the notable thing is it's it's two tanks, right? That are just rolling through. And the second one gets taken out, right? He drops a grenade in there, I think. Yeah, they open up the hatch and drop in the Molotov cocktail. Um, We do see kind of the hero of the film um, take action here. Yep, Kurvachenko, played by Jason Patrick. His first name's what? Constantine, I think. Yep, Constantine. And a lot of you will probably recognize him uh, from The Lost Boys. Mm-hmm. And this is maybe or where we should... Speed 2. <laughs> or Speed 2. Or Speed 2. two. <laughs> and this is where we should maybe talk about this. This, this Russian tank crew. Um, none of them are Russian. Nope. They don't speak with a Russian accent. And they all speak just plain English straight on. Yep. Which I almost prefer. Well, it makes sense because we're with them. You know, we are supposed to understand what they're saying. So why would they have an accent? Mm-hmm. But... Yeah. And also, like... Don't try to get actors. Like, right. Russian is one of those languages. Like, I took a year of Russian in college. I can tell you, like, five words that I remember from it. But I also remember how fucking hard that language was. Mm-hmm. And also, when people try to do Russian accents in movies, they just sound like caricatures. Right. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think it was smart on the director's part to just be like, no, we're not going to be able to con- do this convincingly. <laughs> so just, just go straight with it. You know, right. just... And that's one of those things where I think this film has like a timeless quality to it is that because it's like that, that, that is where it gets sort of the like dreaminess of like, this is just a thing and doesn't really matter when it happens. Like it, we've seen it happen here. It's going to happen again. We know now in the, in yeah, the ranks the, of history. The nationality doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure we'll speak about this a little bit more later, but I think this is also um, informed by the screenwriter's experiences in Afghanistan because mm-hmm. he mentioned that the uh, Soviet soldiers that he saw looked very American to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, looked. I remember reading that that he yeah. they just looked like any other American that you'd see. Which it's interesting because we don't really think about I, and I, this is actually a really interesting time for us to do this movie, um, because I don't know what will happen by the time this airs. But as the time currently while we were recording this, um, Russia is on the verge of invading Ukraine. Not according to them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we'll see what happens by the time this drops, but it's very interesting that this was kind of the time, Mm -hmm. um, because the way we view Russia and always have viewed Russia through the United States lens is like this evil. Mm -hmm. Um, but yet in World War II, they were our friends, you know, they were, they weren't at first. No, but once they realized that, (laughs) once they were betrayed by Hitler, then yeah, yeah, okay. Um, but 
it's it's kind of an interesting relationship that the United States and as Americans we've had with Russia for so long. You know, we're always like, well, are they our friends? Are they not our friends? Are they our friends? Are they not our friends? And so currently, right now, they are not. Um, was what I've been told. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting to watch this film right now with that kind of climate going on. Yeah, it seems like that's always going on somewhere, doesn't it? Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, that's what we do. <laughs> So right away we see that Jason Patrick's Kripachenko has uh, some morality. He's trying to help the mm-hmm. tank crew that's on fire. He's trying to get them out, but it's useless and, mm-hmm. and they're dead. And uh, the guy who threw in the cocktail has his rifle, has a bead on Kripachenko and shoots, fi- tries to fire, but it's it's a dud. Yep. He's using the old flintlock and it does not go off. And so they capture that guy. They capture him. And we meet the uh, leader of this tank crew, which is Descal. Yes. Played by right, George Dunza. What a right fucking bastard he is, too. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a great character actor. Oh, he, yeah. He's done so much stuff. I guarantee you've seen him in something. It's actually, for as far as cast goes, it's really well... It's a great cast. It's a great it cast. Really mm-hmm. uh, Zunza was in The Deer Hunter, Crimson Tide, two other really good war movies. Nice. Um, he's probably best known for his run on Law and Order, but to me, he'll always be uh, Kelly Sawyer from the 1979 miniseries Salem's Lot. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah, yeah, that's awesome. All of these guys too have very familiar-looking faces. Like you can look at him and go, "I've seen that dude in like a hundred mm-hmm. other things." Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they catch this guy, and they're trying to questioning him, and of course he won't say anything. And uh, the commander... So we should say notably, among their crew, they have a... Um, it's a guy that's from Afghanistan, right? Yes. That, uh, uh, Samad. Samad, yeah, Samad. Yes. Which you might recognize from his famous line from Encino Man, <laughs> no he's in the juice, man. He's actually the guy who plays the convenience store owner. Right, he's Eric, been in, Eric Avari. He's been in a fuck ton of stuff. Yeah, I was going to go with uh, Stargate or The Mummy. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, Encino Man. Nobody's the juice. He's also <laughs> been in not one, not two, but three Star Trek shows. He was on TNG and DS9 wow. and Enterprise. And there's our Star Trek reference for the episode. Getting it in but every time. But most importantly... You're welcome. Don't wheeze the juice. No wheeze in the juice, man. Yeah, I never saw that movie. Um, what? So, yeah, he's like their interpreter. Right. And their guide. And he's trying to hold back these women that come running out. And yeah, well, they tell the man whose name turns out to be... What is his name? Because he is the brother of a character who shows up later. I can't find I that. I don't know that his name we matters that much. That. His name's Greg. <laughs> well, his name is about to be fucking crushed like a grape, uh, because they tell him that they, they <laughs> the commander tells his men to put him under the tank treads. Yeah, and the tension that builds in this is just crazy. Yeah. But I love I love uh, uh, the Mujahideen's reaction because he's like, "Get off me!" and he crawls under there himself, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. feet first, his feet sticking up right against the treads. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Daskal orders uh, Kripachenko to drive over him. And that ends up, though, doing something interesting to the characters because they want to know, why did he smile at me? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, as he's, he's... Yeah, he's just smiling at me. As he has, like, no fear about the situation. And at the time, which we'll see later, the, the Russian philosophy is y- you don't surrender mm-hmm. um, and you're not taken prisoner. Like, mm-hmm. granted, that's not what happened. There was a lot of prisoners taken... 
um, historically, but for these guys, you don't let them have the tank, mm-hmm. and you don't give up any information. So the best thing you can do is off yourself before they get a hold of you. But like, it's not it's not the same for them. You know, it's like for them, the death and the sacrificial death is very like, this isn't what we want to do. But for this guy, it's like, Nope. You know, this is how I, this is how I go to my paradise. Yeah. If this is how I'm to die, then I will die. And his name is Shazaman. Ah. And his, uh, fiance, Sharina comes out. She's the lead woman that we'll see a little bit later she's mm. badass yeah she's oh yeah badass. <laughs> she's awesome but it's crazy because like they roll over him and they don't totally show it they show the very beginning they show the beginning it's enough to like unnerve you yeah the feet just but what gets me is that then later after they've moved on they come back and you see like the red paste streak yeah and it's just <laughs> like mm. well and you see that's when you really start to see the breakdown of Sorry, what's Jason Patrick's character's name again? Kurvachenko. Kurvachenko. Mm-hmm. Starting to see, like, what the fuck are we doing here? Right. Like, because there's so much propaganda, and you see it from their commander. This propaganda mm-hmm. later in the film when he's talking about when he was eight years old in Stalingrad and, like, defending his home and that he was lowered uh, right. on ropes, you know, to, like, everyone fought. You didn't think, you just gave. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that's what he's trying to instill in all of these men that are under his command but like you're doing you're committing these atrocities and it's like who are we doing this for (laughs) right we we learn it later but uh kurvachinko he has like a degree in philosophy i believe yes and for desk call that really like sticks in his side because he gets on he gets on this thing about like oh well you you try to think for yourself but you need to just like follow orders yeah just follow orders like a good soldier there's an interesting uh view on uh education through this film as well because we also see through um, oh, Eric Avari's character, the Samad. translator, Samad, they ask him what he believes. Mm-hmm. And he says, after university, I'm not sure. Right. And so it's almost like they're saying that education is enlightening, you know, makes you a different and better person, while the guy who's the head of the military part <laughs> is like, no, <laughs> education does not make you better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A, I thought that was an interesting juxtaposition to the, the two. Right. So the, the tank crew rolls on. Quite literally. And um, some of the Mujahideen come up on the town. Yes. This is where we meet another... Um, this is uh, where we meet Taj. Taj. Played by Stephen Bauer. Stephen Bauer, who notably is not Afghani. No. So there is an issue of people being cast. It's the 80s. They weren't going to cast people... Right. Of the actual, you know, culture they were depicting. <laughs> <laughs> but but every, everyone's so mixed up in this film, it's like it doesn't matter after a point because they've gone so far with that. Right. But having said that, I think he does a really great job. Mm. Yeah, he's good. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, he's, he's grief-stricken. He's the, is he the brother of... He's the brother of a man who yep. was crushed. And the brother was supposed to be Khan, but now that he's been crushed, it now falls to Taj to be the Khan. So they all vow revenge that they're going to go after this beast, that they call it. And he's got uh, his uncles there with them that he kind of relies on. Yeah, he's older, wiser. And he tells them not to worry because the path that the tank took, they've gone into this place. I think they call it the Valley of the Jackal. Yes. And it's this weird sort of like dead-end valley where once you go in, the only way out is back the way you came. Mm-hmm. And clearly the tank crew doesn't know that. So to, so to them, it's like they're going to have their chance at some point. I'm curious to know at what point during the war this is, um, because 
reading the material that you know the extra stuff that mm-hmm. we were reading about like the writer and everything he even mentions talking about it's one of their tactics to lure tanks into these bottlenecks basically take mm-hmm. out the front tank take out the back tank and then, and, then, yeah. and then they're stuck in right. the middle so it it i'm curious to kind of know like it doesn't seem like these guys have fought tanks before the Mujahideen who are going to fight them. It seems like they know about them, mm-hmm. but we also learned they're not the greatest group of soldiers. Right. You know, like they're not highly trained. They're kind of figuring out as they go, but they seem like they think one tank going through this thing. Yeah, we can get, <laughs> we can get this one tank. Well, notably in the wake of everything, they scavenge an RPG, mm-hmm. which they think that's going to kind of be their Trump. Yeah. Sharina brings that out. Yeah. Now, I was. I really struggled with keeping the characters' names right in this. Um, There's a lot of characters, surprisingly. There, yeah, there is, and and they're um, very similar names sometimes. So, and I'm also just a bad movie watcher. And there's another group that also comes up at this point, which they're more like you can tell they're active rebels and like in the fight. Yeah, led by it's uh, oh, Mustafa. No. Mustafa. Mm-hmm. Yep. I actually liked this group because they roll up on like motorcycles right. and stuff. They are kind of embracing that modernization. Yeah. And it's sort of like the clash between him and Taj, which they're cousins, I want to say. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mustafa has such a... The, who Does you have the actor who played him? Uh, uh, Chain Giraffe. Yep. If I'm pronouncing that correctly. I love how he played this. Mm-hmm. He played him so cocky, so arrogant. <laughs> and he like grabs the RPG. He's like, I know how to work this. Yeah. yeah. Like, I can totally take the tank out. <laughs> and he's told to disarm before he approaches... The new con, and he's throwing down all these weapons. What's the line he used? Oh, God, I can't remember exactly keep, what I think said. it says, Keep Allah in your heart and a pistol. Yeah, and a hidden hit. pistol. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I loved it. He's And he's so, like, he pulls that, like, eh? Yeah. <laughs> well, I had to keep, yeah. 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 yeah, of course I had a gun. <laughs> it already shows the tension, though, that was that's so prevalent in Afghanistan um, between, which is, I mean, I don't want to, like, impose my political ideal on it, but it's like, you're American. Go ahead. But it's why these wars don't work. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because uh, we saw the same thing in Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. Right, right. When he calls them Arabia, and they're like, what Arabia? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're like, we're, we're not a country. Yeah, we're like tribes. And, we're, mm-hmm. yeah. and you see the same thing here. Like, there are guys who are warlords. Mm-hmm. They have, this section is theirs. And there's a strict hierarchy. And they don't always get along with the other guy. You know, if they don't believe the same thing they do or think it should work the same way, they don't get along. And so you don't have, like, armies that fight together. And you definitely see this here. Mm-hmm. And I think to that point, and, like, kind of one of the general themes of this film that I got out of it was, like, they raised that question of, like, what is the purpose of, like, other people coming into a place like this and trying to impose, like, their idea of right. order and what it should be? We definitely, as the United States, put... A lot of propaganda behind that as to mm-hmm. why we're there. Um, but there's really not a whole lot of propaganda. Like, there's really yeah. not a lot of answers. Like, why <laughs> Why is Russia there? Like, what is your, what's your end game here? Mm-hmm. You know? I, I don't know. I'm sure. Same reason they're not <laughs> invading the Ukraine. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the tank crew gets kind of lost a little bit. They're looking for Kandahar Road, which is where they're going to link back up across Soviet lines. And as they're taking stock of things, their radio has been damaged. Yep. They can receive transmissions, but cannot transmit. Mm-hmm. And Samad is relieved of duty for getting them lost. Right. 
which is it's a very frustrating scene because the map has also been damaged. Yeah. So he only has like half of the area. And Descal's asking him, like, well, where do we go? Is it this way? Will this get us there? And he's like, I really can't tell you. You know, maybe it seems like it might be that way, but the map's incomplete now. And right, who knows? The radio's out. I can't check with anyone. And we see the treatment of him early on. Mm-hmm. Like, he's treated as lesser, even though he's right there in the thick of it. Right. He's treated as lesser. And we even see um, Krishenkov. Okay. Make, help me Kurvachenko. Kurvachenko. Yeah. We even see Kurvachenko be like, "Why are you so hard on him? Mm-hmm. Like, why do you treat him so bad?" And then we see what he does to him. No, no. Uh, well, eventually. Which, which we noticed too. Like <laughs> horrible uh, man. Kurvachenko like tries to keep the peace with everyone. Like he even tells Samad like after that first incident where like the commander kind of outbursts on him. He's like, "Hey, just you know, say yes and just go on and don't bother, and mm-hmm. he'll leave you alone eventually." Yeah, no, he didn't. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> and, and meanwhile, the uh, Mujahideen are uh, tracking them down, mm-hmm. and they come across them. <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they don't, that guy doesn't really know how to use the RPG. He fucking fires it from the hip. <laughs> yeah, it, I don't think he even knows that he shoots it. No, when he I think he had like the safety on or something, and he's fiddling with it, and then it goes off, <laughs> and it just goes wide, <laughs> wide to the right. <laughs> And I love. And, and I love just yelling at him. You said you knew how to use yeah. that. <laughs> it's the way everyone else reacts to it. It's the best part. It's it's so good. <laughs> uh, yeah. They. They. Um, let's see what happens after that. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's the, one of the first times happens. they yeah. kind of stopped to camp. Um, they're all taking a break. And that's right, where Samad yeah. and uh, Constantine kind of get. You know, they talk a lot to one another. Yeah, they're playing chess. And uh, Samad kind of teaches him a little bit about, like, the culture that's there. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how they have this code of honor called Pashtunwali that's got three obligations, which are, and I'm probably going to butcher these words, but my apologies, uh, Melmastia, which is hospitality, mm-hmm. Badal, which is revenge, and Nanawate, which is an obligation to give sanctuary to anyone who asks for it. Even your enemy. Right, because that's, that's what he asked him. He's like, well, even like if they came up on me and I asked that, you would be obligated to mm-hmm. take care of me. And he says, yep. Which becomes integral. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that comes up later. And what after they talk about this, what Kurvachenko actually says is, that's incredibly civilized to me. Mm-hmm. So it kind of puts that juxtaposition that like from their point of view, they see them as kind of like lesser because they're not as developed, you know, but... But it's you, that propaganda. Right. You know, that's... Those are all part of, like, if you actually talk to somebody who's a practicing Muslim mm-hmm. and not just take the propaganda that's told to you mm-hmm. about who Muslims are and what they do, you will learn that, like, it's not what you think it is at all. Right. You know, there's, it's like a very, there's all these pillars of, like, and they're all, hey, be good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't be shit. That's basically <laughs> all these pillars are, and there's... There, theirs is like, yeah, be a decent human being and be a soldier at the same time. Mm. So, and from the other side, they kind of get into this with uh, Taj, where it's like they they dub the tank the Beast, and they kind of set this parallel to the story of David and Goliath. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because same as anyone in Christianity, they have that story too. And so it's the same thing where it's like this insurmountable foe, and yet they're going to find a way with you know but a stone to defeat him. Exactly. And we actually skipped a little part where they they get to that water hole. And the tank crew are setting a trap for the yeah. rebels attacking them. And <laughs> yeah, one guy goes to get a drink from this water hole and 
bites because they poisoned it. But Taj finds the cyanide canister nearby, and you see uh, Daskal and his men in the tank, and you know he's he's recriminating one of them because he didn't you know bring the canister back with him. Right. You know he left it right there for them to find it because they were hoping they would all just drink from the water and die. So they're sitting there waiting for their chance to kill them. And they're all kind of grouped together and they load a shell and they go to fire it and nothing happens. Right. You know? And he it's tries a again, click, a misfire, and they all freak out and run out of the tank because <laughs> they're afraid it's going to blow up. So they have to go and try to like pull the shell out now. Yeah. And uh, the commander's telling Samad to go do it. Because mm-hmm. he touched the shell at first to draw yeah, it out. Yeah, he's pretty much accusing him of sabotaging it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Kurbachenko volunteers to go. Um, and the way they discharge the shell is <laughs> basically like Kurbachenko's like, this is stupid. You're being ridiculous. Like pretty much calling out the mm-hmm. commander. Like you're being a fucking asshole. Mm-hmm. And dude just pops the shell like real yeah. quick on him <laughs> to where, you know, it could have exploded any time. But yeah, how how much fun do you think it would be to play as an actor, to play such a right bastard. Well, I've always heard that people that do villains have the most fun in acting. It has to be the best. Because this dude is just awful. Yeah, He is the epitome of everyone that you would want to (laughs) hate. Zuz is good at that. He's such a great, kind of hateable character actor. And while it just came to me, we've brushed over it a little bit, but when they're fighting in the tank, I think there's some really cool camera work that goes on, especially when they're like spinning around the cannon. Right. And they'll have the camera like inside and like do the 360 spin with them Mm -hmm. as they go. That's a hard thing to do, too, because mm-hmm. it's such a cramped area. You, yeah. you have to both create the sense of claustrophobia that the characters feel. Which they do a great job at that. Yeah, yeah. but then you also have to film it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and make it not feel like you're also... I don't know. They do a great job of feeling like the camera's in it right? when you know it's not. Mm-hmm. And then once they get that shell out, they actually use it for another trap yep. because they kind of lay it in the sand and they like proper grenade under it because mm-hmm. they know that when they come along, someone's going to try to like scavenge that shell and take it. And someone does that very thing. Yeah. And before the other guys are yelling at him to stop, but he, he doesn't and gets blown up real good. Interesting. That was another good piece of gore there too, because oh, this yeah. guy is yeah. fucked. And they even say something about it too. It was like, our greed's going to be our undoing or something like that. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I really like that line. It's basically like you keep, um, which sets the two uh, factions apart. Yeah. Um, like one faction amongst the Mujahideen is very interested in any technology they can get their hands on. To yeah, use. it's just yeah. like the spoils. And the yeah. other one is more about, is that a cat? Um, but yeah, the guy who uh, messed with the round and got blowed up. They say something about, like, leave him food and leave him water. Right, because he's too injured to come with them, but he's but, still I mean, alive. Barely. I mean, the guy has, it's like, there's, like, intestines outside <laughs> of his body. And is this thing missing an arm? But that's kind of their cultural thing, I think, is the, yeah, the point this, we're supposed to take from that. This guy's not going to last. Which Mustafa disagrees yeah. with. Right. And he puts around in his head. Just put a flesh wound. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, really, that was a mercy kill. And, I mean, you know, I, I just realized this, too, um, during our cat break here. Uh-huh. When they set that shell trap, isn't th- isn't that when they make Samad lay it? And while he's over there, the rest of them are in the tank, and Daskal kind of tries to get Korvachenko to shoot him. Yes, because he says, you know, he's a traitor. We have to get rid of him. That's shoot right. him. Yeah, Korvachenko of course refuses. Mm-hmm. And it's this awkward thing where like everyone in the tank knows that happened, and then Samad comes back. 
<laughs> they, they just don't say anything. Oh, we totally weren't going to shoot yeah. you, bro. Hey, Simone. <laughs> hey, buddy. Um, also, during this time, there's a night scene that's really interesting, yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, they have to like stop in the middle of the night, and they set out these like little... Uh, like some sort of sensor or something. Like sensors to kind of get like a radar of stuff that's around them in case anyone comes up to ambush them in the night. And then as they're just kind of, you know, chilling and winding down things start to ping on that radar and they have no way to get any like clear yeah. visuals. It's like that or... scene in Aliens where they're yeah. surrounded by them, you know. <laughs> Interesting outcome for that. And so, yeah, Duskall decides like we're going to spin 360 and fire everything. Awesome sequence. <laughs> All the machine guns are going. The flame cannon's going. It's really cool. Those, that's actually a flame lance of the ancient Hyperzytherian. Oh, really? Is it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for letting me know that. <laughs> they're, they're, they're flame lances. <laughs> Crossing in a little hawk moon there. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they lay waste to this area all around the tank, and it turns out it's just a bunch of deer. Mm-hmm. It's there with the way it's like, it's just deer, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then it's, am- it's amazing because when it picks up in the morning, the Mujahideen come by. And they see there's just like this black circle yeah. burned into the ground, and there's like the charred hunk of a deer just laying there. <laughs> uh, is this where we get to the point where they come to the little river crossing? Yes. So at this point, they're still figuring out where they're going, mm-hmm. and they think they know where they, they should be going. Yep, they got to cross this river, and they're pretty sure it's not too deep. Right, but what the important part would be is, is it mud or rock on the bottom? If it's mud, they're going to get stuck. If it's rock, they can go over. Mm-hmm. So they end up making um, some, odd, some yeah. mod go. And this is after an argument, which I think is really important. Samad has already let us know early on that he's not sure where he stands on his religion, mm-hmm. on what he believes anymore. But he's laying out his um, prayer rug yep. to to pray. Because clearly... He's, I think you can see he's struggling with what they've been doing. Mm -hmm. And as he's going to pray, right bastard is basically like, fucking stop (laughs) that. Like, no. And he's like, I need my prayers. Like, I need to do Mm -hmm. this. And he's like, no, you don't. And basically tells him, like, you're going to go test that water and walk across it. He kind of just openly calls him a traitor. And Samad, like, questions him. And he's like, why would I do all of this. You know, I, I went to the Soviet Union. I became a citizen. I have, like, my family to worry about. Why would I betray right. now? Right. But ultimately, it's just, he didn't like him. Mm-hmm. You know, he still viewed him as the enemy because he looked like the enemy. Um, and so as he has them, uh, Stephen Baldwin is also pissing in this river. Fuck. Sorry. <laughs> my turn to finally do that. Um, Somebody got excited to mention Stephen Baldwin. Stephen Baldwin pissing in a river. Uh, which I think is a it's a funny scene because he's just like... Because I'm like, why are you pissing in the river? Like, why do you... Yeah, and they're like filling their canteens and stuff. Yeah, and and while like... you're pissing in the river. Like, stop. Stephen Baldwin, quit peeing in the river, man. <laughs> oh, and also for his insubordination and not shooting some odd earlier, they downgrade Kovachenko... And he has to do like the little log where he logs everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. And they tell him basically if he does anything else, he's court-martialed. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of like not in this. He's like off to the side, like filling out the book. Yeah. Um, so now Samad, while Stephen Baldwin's peeing in the river, um, Samad like just bold just fucking walks out into it. Like, fine, fine, whatever. He says the river's freezing cold. Um, and then tells him it's, he asks, is it slate or mud? And he tells him, no, it's rock. And fucking just unloads the machine gun on him yep yep 
Which is, it's brutal. It's a brutal scene. Hard scene to watch. Yeah. Just, and that's when you see Jason Patrick, because I'm... Kervachenko. Kervachenko, whatever, man. <laughs> whatever. Just call him Jason Patrick. Well, or, or Constantine, is that easier for you to... Yeah, Constantine. Mm-hmm. Well, so don't think of Keanu Reeves. That doesn't... Jason doesn't Patrick, Jason me. Patrick is easier. You know? <laughs> but that's the actor, not the Sleep character. all day, party all night. <laughs> uh, yeah, and the first thing Kervachenko does is he... Like, he's well, writing it in He's the like, log. I'm going to write this down. And he's like, yep. you, you can't write that down. And Descal actually takes the book and just tears the page out. Yeah. I kind of loved that. He's like, what are you doing? I'm writing this down. You can't write that down. <laughs> and it's like, well, you, you ordered him to do that. Yeah. This dude is just completely inept at command. Like, through the entire thing. Like, he's the worst person to command mm-hmm. this tank, but also has such a sense of entitlement that he should command this tank because he's tank bully. Yeah, he tells a story. He was known as Tank Boy during the war with the Nazis. He was, was like eight, and they would lower him down on top of the tanks. Dropping Molotovs in mm-hmm. there and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, and he's really proud of himself for and all he, this. And he says some interesting stories there, too. Like, he talks about being in Mongolia, which I learned that there's, that's a goof where, like, there's no logical way that could happen. Oh. But it's just a random story that's in there. Um, but he talks about one time, like, he's got the tank, and was they take a mortar, like, straight on. Yeah, and it, like the commander and the gunner, they were killed. Like everyone died but him in the driver's seat, but the tank held. And he mentions like, well, now our tanks are so much more advanced. We could get through anything as yeah, long as we're they, inside they it. can't be destroyed. Yeah. yeah, This guy is like the perfect epitome of what's left of like old Russia. Mm-hmm. You know, like we have the Russia that's kind of moving into modernization and like western a little bit more western style culture Mm -hmm. but this dude's no he's still hardcore like (laughs) he's still stalin boy Mm -hmm. you know like the old russia where you will die you will run into combat with no weapons yeah because he's talking about he was in stalingrad right yeah and that's where basically they they were given guns with no ammo (laughs) yeah (laughs) because the guy next to you got the ammo right so he drops grab the gun and that's yeah. yeah. But the thing he says is that through all his time, he's learned when to just smell a traitor, and he knows automatically. Yep. So he's hundred percent confident. Samad was a traitor. Nothing will ever change his mind. Mm-hmm. He was right. And he uh, accuses Kravchenko of treason as well because mm-hmm. he keeps saying the tank's breaking down. We're not going to make it. You know, we got to stop. We got to fix this. And Daskal has uh, the gunner, which is Kaminsky. I don't know if we mentioned his character's name yet. Is that uh... that's Don Harvey? I'm less familiar with him. Don Harvey's been in a shit ton of stuff yeah. but he's always such a blending he's, character he's kind actor. of one of those that guys you know? yeah he blends into everything he does but you've seen his face yeah i and guarantee he's been in something you've seen stephen baldwin plays uh gulikoff he's yep. a loader he's just stephen baldwin he's just stephen baldwin. <laughs> so they tie him to a rock and this is where that philosophy discussion comes up Fuck. yeah because um it's actually i think it's it's gulikoff or kaminsky one of them brings up the idea that they're going to need to like stop and repair and they're like whispering about it, and they're even like, "Oh, he's crazy. We need to do something." Mm-hmm. And then Daskal's like, "What are you guys talking about?" They're like, "Nothing, sir. Nope. Whatever you say, sir." Kravchenko just says, "Well, you know, the tank's breaking down. We need to stop and take care of this." Mm-hmm. Daskal and won't he, have it. He loses it on him. Yep. So they tie Kravchenko to a rock. Uh, they put a grenade. They pull the pin out and put the <laughs> grenade behind his head, so his head's keeping, you know, the. Uh, I did have an was, issue with this scene. The spoon. The spoon? Yeah, it's called a spoon. It's the pen holds the spoon in. I did not know that. Yeah. Hmm. 
Or maybe it's not officially called the spoon, but I've always heard it That's called the spoon. That's what you call it. <laughs> I've always heard it called the spoon. Okay. When, you're, when you're using your grenades. Because it's spooning the grenade, see? It's like spooning it. Someone I think this is a you thing. I've got to look this no, up. Someone, someone in the military write us in and correct us. <laughs> call it a spoon. A paddle oh. spoon. But yeah, it's, it's another trap they're trying to lay where they assume like, oh, they're going to find him. They'll try to move them, and then that'll activate the grenade. I took a huge issue with this scene. Okay, it's known in U.S. forces as a spoon. That's like a colloquial thing. You're right. Thank You're you. Right. Thank you. Yeah, it's a safety handle or lever. Yeah. The lever. The lever. Do not look directly into <laughs> the lever. Okay, what's your issue? So when we see Jason Patrick <laughs> uh, tied to the rock and Kerberchenko and the <laughs> Constantine Lost Boy dude um, and the dogs come up, Michael. Michael, that's his name. Um, yeah, this is where we get the payoff on the dogs. The dogs come up, basically, and like, ooh, we're going to eat you. Yeah, free meal. Um, and he ends up, like, rolling off of the grenade. The grenade rolls off the rock and then blows up the dogs. Yes. Mm. There's no fucking way he doesn't escape that without <laughs> shrapnel all in well, his entire lower half. There's another attack earlier where the Mujahideen are dropping grenades on them when they're under the tank. Yeah. And even hiding under the tank where the grenades drop. Because you see uh, the one guy, Don Harvey. His face gets kind of jacked yeah, up. He yeah, he gets a little bit of shrapnel in the face. But, I mean, honestly, the shrapnel would have gotten all of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. grenades are never portrayed as dangerous as they actually are in movies. Yeah. Even right. one that's fairly realistic like this one. But even... Okay, also, you wouldn't be able to hear for the rest of your life <laughs> from a grenade like that close this at your head. Crew. You probably can't hear anyway. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> That scene really bothered me for some reason. I yeah. thought it just was. It didn't really like, pull me out because the way the rock set up, it's kind of like there's a lip. No, Dustin, and no. it rolls like under the lip where the dogs are. No, I no, could see it. he didn't make his deck save. Mm. He's he's tied up. He's flat footed. He can't make a deck save. It's with it. all the RPG references this time. I'm just trying to speak to the rocket language. Rocket propelled grenade. Well, they're mm. carrying a rocket propelled grenade. Yeah. Anyway. Oh uh, yeah, the dogs die, and he's left for dead, basically. Yeah. And we see then like. Buzzards are circling over him mm-hmm. now, so it's like kind of issuing his death warrant there. But soon, uh, the Mujahideen arrive on him. And before they run up on him, too, uh, those women come back, yeah, led they, by Sharina. And they want to fight. And they say, yeah, let us join us. Let and us join you. We'll fight. And they tell them, like, you don't have any weapons. Leave it to us. She pulls out fucking Comp B and, uh, <laughs> yeah. like, grenades. <laughs> yeah. She's, She's like, got... <laughs> Tons of explosives. I fucking love it. Yeah, <laughs> She's like, I got these. <laughs> yeah. And he's just like, no, go back, woman. You can't fight. Okay. And then they find <laughs> Kurvachenko, and rightfully, I think they're kind of just moving to kill him. Mm-hmm. And but Kurvachenko pleads uh, Nanawate. Yep. And they're like, what? Wait, what? Wait, you can't. Do- oh, <laughs> Paulay. <laughs> <laughs> and that's again another time where Taj and Mustafa kind of clash, because Mustafa's like, well, we just need to kill him. Right. There's no point. And they're like, that code is for us. He's not one of us. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not beholden by that code. But then Tosh says, you know, no matter what, yeah. we have to hold to this. Right. <laughs> Which is incredibly civilized. Which, but it's also showing, I don't know, I, I think that that's probably more apt to the difference between, like, you, you truly see the difference between the two and, like, mm-hmm. what is your end goal right. kind of thing. And... You constantly see one side being like, look, we keep trying to stoop to their level. This is why Allah won't bless us. Because we're not fighting with honor. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But then he realizes, like, okay, wait a minute, when they realize that the RPG's broken. Right, well, it's, the whole scene, like, it slows down here a little bit, but I think it's interesting the way they've done it, because I think if it was any other movie, they would put in one of the Mujahideen who could speak uh, Russian somehow. Right. And yeah. he would be the translator, and they would blah, 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 confer. Mm-hmm. But they don't do that. Yeah, I really like this scene a lot. So there's this long scene of, like, Taj and Kurvachenko where they're kind of, like, understanding one another, mm-hmm. and... He teaches him a few words of Russian. He learns a little bit of their language. And one little bit I liked a lot was that Taj takes food from everyone and puts it in front of Kurvachenko. And he gets like the first pick, basically. Yeah, and it's like they can't eat until he does. Mm-hmm. That's a very traditional. Yeah. Uh, that's a very traditional Islamic thing. And then once he starts eating, they all grab their food back <laughs> and start munching. But yeah, he notices that the RPGs messed up. Yeah, and they're like, and he says he could fix it. Basically, mm-hmm. Kurvachenko says he could fix it. I love. It's kind of the the beauty of like all those old weapons, like holdovers from World War Two. Yeah, there's an old infield there, and he asked for that rifle. He's like, yeah, yeah, we can take pieces of that, and it'll fix this. Yeah. Probably because it was pieces of the infield <laughs> that was made for it. And you it's know? funny how dismissive Mustafa is because he's like, oh well, great, now he's ruined two of our weapons. Yeah, yeah, because he's taking them both apart. Mm-hmm. And then when he actually looks, when he fixes it, shows yeah. them that it does click and it can fire, and he looks through the scope <laughs> and shows them how it's actually done. <laughs> You see their faces like, oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, scope, yeah. Now I love that scene where he's sitting there fixing it. And it, I'm a sucker for scenes like that where people are like taking something and jury rigging it and make it. It reminds mm-hmm. me of uh, Eli Wallach and the Good and Bad, the Ugly. Okay, yeah, where yeah. He's making yeah. his own gun. Yeah. in mm-hmm. that shop, it's it's fantastic. Then there's the nice homage to that too in John Wick Three. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Which right. is straight homage. Oh, it's straight. Yeah, straight up homage. <laughs> but so well done, mm-hmm. just great. But kind of then in this very rudimentary understanding that they have, Taj asks him, like, you know, will you help us blow up this tank? And he he agrees. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's also you see at the uh, this agreement is more like if I don't, they're going to kill me. Mm -hmm. So I think it starts as like an agreement of not of revenge. Even then, like he has no reason to want to save them. Yeah. They've screwed him over every which way. So like, why not? I think at that point, Kerbachenko would like to kill Daskal. I don't know. I didn't get it fully yet. I think I did because I think he really tries to pull for Samad, and what, I think there's a vibe that he wants to like help him see through the war, and then Daskal just like crushes that. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe <laughs> I like to think there's a little bit more of I don't know, and but I think that might have been colored by what I read about the author though, okay. by saying when the author said that he basically saw Russian captives captured. And they say, well, you want to write about this. Go talk to him. And so he writes about him and then realizes, like, as soon as he's done, they're going to go kill them. Mm -hmm. So he's like, shit, this is very fucking real. (laughs) You know, like, I'm not just interviewing these guys. They're pleading with me, essentially, to help. And that's kind of, maybe that's kind of how I viewed it, because I was reading some of that as it was going on. It's possible. I don't know. Perhaps. It's okay to be wrong. It is. (laughs) Yeah, so they fixed the RPG. Meanwhile, what is our tank crew up to doing all of this uh their misadventures well, they realize that they're trapped in this valley right they get they get to like a flat plane that's just like straight. yeah yeah and it's um, a cool scene because they're like oh there's the road we can get there now and they're going full blast and then dascal kind of pops up with the binoculars and is looking and then like, he's just like up, stop, up, stop 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 yeah and in front of them was this huge gorge mm-hmm. and it's like a sheer straight drop off yeah so there's no <laughs> way out of here but then a Soviet helicopter appears. Yeah. And, and, the, and cool. this scene, Tiffany was screaming at the TV oh, yeah, during yeah. this. 
Because they're, oh, they're rescued here. They, they can go up with its helicopter crew. But Daskal says, no, he will not abandon his tank. We are tankers. Right. The head of the helicopter crew says that there's no way out. You have to go back out the way you came in. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, come on, we'll get you out of here. And then we'll do an airstrike on the tank. Yeah. <laughs> and the <laughs> and just saying that Daskal is like no nope we're gonna go back and he, he tells his man get back in the tank yeah he says you give us fuel mm-hmm. we'll drive back out and meet you there yeah and I love the looks on the tanker on the on the loader and the because they're already in the helicopter on the gunner yeah. yeah and they just have this look like are you serious <laughs> one of them what? I think it already like there was vodka or something yeah. on yeah. it and he's already like yeah <laughs> we're back man <laughs> but nope. You and you see it on on their faces too. They realize like, oh shit, we mm-hmm. fucked up. Like mm-hmm. we backed the wrong play, right? Because the one it's right before they turn on Kravchenko, he asked them to kind of like team up with him. Mm-hmm. And he suggests they need to like put Daskal, not right. not not really kill him, but like incapacitate yeah, him. Because it's only a matter of time before mm-hmm. he does something to them too. Right? And yeah, now they, they realize they've kind of walked past the ledge on that. Yep. <sighs> so they they get they borrow fuel from the helicopter, which is another goof because. I was reading about it, and there's no way that helicopter fuel like that could run the tank, especially right. as far as they sure. are taking it. Or, or maybe they carried you know, tank fuel to like go to the lines and refuel tanks with. But, but interesting, though, after this scene is really where the tank starts to break down. Oh, yeah. So maybe it was. Maybe they thought they could run the tank on this, and it's really just, just straight destroying. Because <laughs> wasn't it running too hot? Yeah. So, yeah, if it was burning helicopter fuel that's going to burn a lot hotter than this tank probably runs on diesel so could be yeah i don't know maybe maybe it wasn't so much of a goof and they drive on for a while and they come across the helicopter again and it's landed near that water hole (laughs) and everyone's dead because they drink (laughs) poisoned water someone's poisoned the water hole (laughs) oops (laughs) so they there's no way they're getting out of there now (laughs) and what's interesting is they roll on from it and they're making for that pass to get back out. Well, then the Mujahideen are tracking them, mm-hmm. and they come up on the helicopter. <laughs> and Mustafa's just like, "Dude, we got the helicopter. It's payday, yeah." yeah. And he's he's done chasing the tank because yeah. oh, we've got this helicopter. And like he and his man are sitting there in the cockpit. It's like, do you know how to fly this thing? <laughs> he's like, you could figure this out, right? Yeah. They they were they did a bang up job with that RPG. The helicopter's <laughs> got to be a lot easier to work than that RPG. It's like, what are you gonna do with it, man? <laughs> Which I think seems to be a common theme that kind of you see through. I'm not sure how inaccurate this is because these guys aren't trained. Mm -hmm. But everything is like, granted, an AK-47 is pretty easy. Point, shoot. Right. That's what they're designed for. But like, well, flying a helicopter is a bit more complicated. No, every there's always somebody <laughs> who can fly a helicopter in like every action film. Uh, so yeah, Taj and Kravchenko and a few of Taj's men they soldier on, but Mustafa's group is kind of just out at this point. Yep. Uh, but they catch up with the tank and they're attacking it, and the tank's getting away. They think they're going to make it. Very Kr- intense scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Kravchenko uses the RPG and hits uh, the muzzle. Of the gun, the main gun blows it up, but but, but the but, tank is fine. Before this, though, there was an interesting scene where the tank is—they know they're there, mm-hmm. um, and they're laying a trap basically for somebody to walk around that corner. Oh yeah, yeah. And that dude walks around the, and I love how they did it. They didn't show gore for it. Mm. They just the dude was there, tank fires, and he's not there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I kept waiting for like pieces of him to fall, but I think it was better that they're just like, no, he's not there anymore. <laughs> he's gone. <laughs> 
Um, but then we see um, Jason Patrick slash Michael slash um, Speed Two. <laughs> Kurvachenko slash Kurvachenko slash Constantine. Why is that name so hard for you? I don't know. Hmm. Um, <laughs> are you judging me? <laughs> no, just, oh my God, why is that name so they hard? They say it like 5,000 times in the film. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't always pay attention to the names. <laughs> <laughs> what is, at the beginning of every show, you're like, I'm one of your hosts, Dustin. And I'm like, oh, that's his name. <laughs> Here with me is Michael. Oh, that's my name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, He's basically showing them, like, how to get around the tank. Mm-hmm. You know, like... He shows them, like, the blind spots of where they can't aim right. so high and so low. Because they were essentially running right into these tank's traps. And I so, thought, something that was kind of bugging me the whole time, though, I'm thinking, how many rounds of, you know, the big ammunition does this tank have? And it was bugging me, and I looked it up, and it could carry, like, 43 rounds. Mm. Oh, Jesus. Of, like, the giant... Yeah, of the 100-millimeter shells. Holy yeah. shit. Mm-hmm. I mean that explains why it's so cramped inside. Right. It's yeah. It's during this final conflict too, where they like he asked for a certain kind of shell and they don't have any more, and he's yeah, like, just they, load anything. Yeah, they want a frag shell. And they don't have any more. It is. They they do make an interesting scene, like talking about the claustrophobia of inside the tank. Oh, mm-hmm. big uh, They do make an interesting scene of after they tie Krushenko. Kurvachenko. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> uh, to the rock. And he's like, it is a lot roomier in here, you know. They're saying, that yeah, that's right, yeah. Because you really feel it. Uh, it's it's the night that where they do like the deer killing, because uh, all of them are still alive yeah, they, then, yeah. and they're so cramped in all the tank. On top of each other. Can you yeah. imagine how bad it smelled? Oh, it's got to be horrible. Oh, yeah. Ugh. The only <laughs> interior of a tank I can really that I really have to go by is uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Mm. <laughs> that's the only one I know. And Somehow that actually, I, I bet that wasn't accurate. That looked roomy. Yeah, it didn't look too You know, bad. like it had room for Sean Connery <laughs> in it. So after the RPG, this is kind of like what Dascal said coming true. The body of the tank is totally fine still, and they're just going to soldier on and get out of the pass when there's a fortuitous explosion <laughs> Yes, high up in the mountain. At yeah. first I was like, well, it's interesting because he says, um, sorry, main dude who's of the... Mujahideen. Taj. Taj. Taj says, Allah, why have you forsaken us? Like, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> you should have blessed us because we're doing your work. Right, we're doing the right thing. Yeah. And <laughs> then... <this> big boom! <laughs> and part of the rocks start collapsing, and you're like, what? At first, I was like, fucking come on, man. Come on! <laughs> However, what we see is that it's Sharina and the women... Yep. ...use their explosives. Yep. And to- this traps the tank. It's not going anywhere. And then they start taunting him. I love that yep. when uh, Kurvachenko calls him Tank Boy. Yep. <laughs> Come out, Tank Boy! And in the wake of the damage, it starts to leak fuel all around the tank. Yeah. So they take uh, they take Taj's like headdress mm-hmm. and light that. <laughs> Lovey rips it off. He's yeah. like, what the fuck are you doing, man? <laughs> yeah, the guy's like, what? <laughs> uh, and they set fire to it, and it forces the crew to bail yep. on the tank, and they capture them. Yep. And at first, immediately, they're just going to off off them and kill them. Mm-hmm. And Kurvachenko pleads Nanawatai again for yep. them. And this is like one of the most interesting scenes of the film, I think, is he confronts Descal directly. And I put down the line because I liked it so much. He says, uh, Sorry, sir, not much of a war. No Stalingrad. How is it that we're the Nazis this time? Yeah. How is it? I tried to be a good soldier, but you can't be a good soldier in a rotten war, sir. Now I want you to live to see them win. Yeah. And then he tells them to just go and run. Yeah. That was great. I like that a lot. And that's really like 
probably thesis statement on the film mm-hmm. almost. Absolutely. It's one it's the only time that there was blatant um writer interjection there mm-hmm. of feelings on yeah. yeah on what was happening. Like you see it. It's very it's painted very vividly, but it's the only time we blatantly hear the true thing. But I always like a movie where the hero doesn't have to kill the villain at the end. Right. You know? Like And that's such a powerful statement too that he wants right. him to like live to see the outcome of it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so they run off and then Unfortunately <laughs> Well, the Mujahideen meanwhile are arguing about what to do with Kravichenko yeah. in the meantime. You know? And Taj is defending him, saying, you know, we won't kill him. He's helped us, whatever. But yeah, the women have tracked <laughs> down the tank crew that have run off. <laughs> Because uh, Daskal's uh, behind the other guys. And you know I love it too. Um, for the underlings, Golokov and Kaminsky, they take their boots, anything valuable they have on them, and they just make them walk away barefoot. Right. They ain't going to live, man. <laughs> You're not going to survive that desert. Well, well supposedly to, there's like a checkpoint. Yeah, there's can, close to yeah. Yeah, an outpost or something. But yeah, they come upon Daskal, and we don't see it. But we know he's in for a bad time. <laughs> We see the aftermath as they show back up to the group, and they are just bloody as hell. Yeah, they're covered in blood, and they throw down these the, the like boots in his uniform, mm-hmm. and it's all torn and covered in blood. And I love this scene <laughs> so much. Kurvachenko says sees this, and he's like, "Oh shit!" And as luck would have it, there was a helicopter coming, mm-hmm. Soviet helicopter. It's the one they were supposed to meet up with, I right? Think, originally, yeah. And they they, they spot Kurvachenko and everything, and. And he runs to it. He's like, I'm getting out of here. Because yeah. there's no way that Taj can keep these people from killing me. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, eventually they're going to. Yeah. Um, and just before it happens, Taj gives him it's a Giselle musket. Yeah, I did a little bit of research on these things. Very it looked really cool, so what do you got about it? Um, I think well, you mean a, a psycho rifle. <laughs> a psycho rifle. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that the Tuscan Raider uh, rifles were based on these. Oh, I'm hmm. sure it is. Yeah. I'm sure they look that. just yeah. like it. Um, let's see what we got here. A note. Okay, here we go. Um, yeah, called a Giselle. They were usually handmade and seen as very personal to the user. Which were, it was very like lavishly designed. Right, yeah, they're all unique. They all have their own different designs. Um, they're all from 50 calibers. I could get up to like 14 pounds. Holy shit. Wow. Yeah. Uh, the firing mechanisms were usually matchlock or flintlock. Like the one we saw in the movie was a flintlock. Mm hmm. Um, and yeah, Taj gives him his rifle, which is like a big deal. Gives Kravchenko his rifle. Yeah, they start to airlift him out, and he just kind of salutes Taj mm-hmm. and lets them fly off with him. I was laughing at the end. I was like, "Are they gonna pull this guy up?" Because <laughs> they just fly with him like hanging yeah. from the. <laughs> Tiffany actually said the exact the same harness. Thing. <laughs> like you could pull him up a little bit, man. Like, but they just kind of. I wonder about the stuntman who did that scene. It's just like, you're just going to hang here for a while. We're going to fly with you. (laughs) Come on, man. You can pull me up. But I think it's an interesting ending because it it would be so easy to be like, oh, well, he's friends with them now and he's just going to go off with them. Right. Yeah. They'll have more adventures and da da da. But he sees, like, equally on their side, this is, like, you know, more, way more brutal than he wanted Mm -hmm. anything to happen. Yeah. And he's not cool with it. And. It also opens up an interesting thing of what's going to happen to him now. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, he's the one who survives, so it's his story that's going to be yeah. the story of what Everybody happened. fought bravely. They died. He happened to escape. But, like, he doesn't want to <laughs> fight anymore. Right. Yeah. So, 
how's he getting out? You know, like yeah, right. I mean, what what happens to him afterwards? It's not a beautiful ending. Yeah, and that's the thing. There's like an ambiguity because this is literally just like one little slice of a much bigger thing. Oh yeah, and. I don't really yeah. think you can be like, well, I had this traumatic experience in a war, so I'm going to be out now. Right. I think they're going to be like, no, <laughs> you're going back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's the movie. Beast, the Beast, slash Beast of War, slash Jason Patrick, <laughs> slash <laughs> Speed 2. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the background on this film. I think it's better that we, we walked through the plot and everything first mm-hmm. and kind of talked about bits that we liked. So this uh, film, the screenplay was written by William Mastrosimone. Mone? Uh, Mastrosimone? Help me, Perhaps. Jason. I would say Mastrosimone, but... Our apologies. We, we may be uh, <laughs> tearing that up, sorry. And he actually, he's a playwright, and he actually made this first as a play mm-hmm. called Nana Watai. I can see that being a play. That's, that's pretty cool, because basically you just get the tank as the one setting. Well, mm-hmm. his previous play was basically about a truck driver and... A girl, mm-hmm. and it was just two people. It was, yeah, a two it was very simple, play. like two person. Yeah. So this is drama. This is in his. Um, it's artsy. In his wheelhouse. Wait, wasn't that the name of the play? Uh, the the play? wool gatherer. Wool gatherer, not wheelhouse. I don't know. It starts with a W. And so it was <laughs> after, after he made names. this first play, he had gotten interested in this conflict that was going on, and it was almost like this obsession where he he wanted to go over there and like see it firsthand and like learn. Mm-hmm. Their story of what's going on. Yeah, because he had an idea for the story, but didn't want to. He wanted to actually yeah, observe it firsthand, which you could not do. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's very important to note that that you. It's kind of hard to get into Afghanistan. You could not just war. walk in. You know, one does not simply just walk <laughs> into Afghanistan. Yeah. So he frequented this Afghan restaurant. Yep. And eventually, through those people, he was told how to get over there. And basically, he just had to go to Pakistan, right? Mm-hmm. They go told to this, him go to this one particular hotel and wait. Yeah, and it was very shady, very sketchy. <laughs> He's like, "Well, how long do I have to wait?" He's like, "We don't know." <laughs> but that's how it worked. And he yeah. literally like it was almost like one of those do or die things. Like he blew a ton of money to go yeah. over there, and it was like yeah. pretty much all he had. Balls of steel, man. Mm-hmm. This guy had balls of steel. And so, but what's interesting is when they get him and take him, they they take him by train from Pakistan, and they're going to the border. Mm-hmm. And they tell him, well, we have to meet with the local warlord. <laughs> that dude yeah. turns out to be one of the most brutal warlords Afghanistan had ever had. Yeah, and that's what Ryder was saying. Because he didn't really know who he was talking to at the time. No, but and he said that he, he found him to be like you know charming, intelligent. He embraced him because he wanted to talk about American politics. He wanted yeah. to mm-hmm. like, he realized he was a good guy. You know, just really wanted to shoot the shit with him. It was uh, Gobolin Hekmatyar. And I think if you do some research on that guy, you'll see... Um, <laughs> well, the writer says that he later discovered that like he had a standing order to throw acid in the faces yeah. of the woman who didn't cover herself. Mm. Yeah, he was a bad dude. Yeah. A really bad dude. Jesus. And he was one of the warlords that the CIA used as like a go-between to supply the Mujahideen. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, if you... If you ever get into any of that kind of stuff and like you look at that name, like I had seen that guy's name before in some of the other research I'd done for college and stuff, and then I was like, Oh fuck. Yeah. <laughs> like you should not be talking to that guy. Yeah, but so he kinda he kinda befriends the guy and he, he okays for them to kind of sneak over the border and get into Afghanistan. He sends them with this like little group. And then they just get thrown like right into the fighting. Yeah, it's insane. 
I, I think this article, which we'll link to this article. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. Because this sure. is one of the ones that Nick sent us. He said, like, hey, check this out after you've yeah, watched it's, the film. It's a fasc- Even if you don't watch the movie, it's a fascinating read. I think that it's... This shows, like, when you see somebody who has a fascination with, like, war, mm-hmm. and then they see it, and they're like, I'm not fascinated with this anymore. Yeah. You know, like, he wants to write about it and tell the truth about it. Yeah, he thought he should be, like, Hemingway, you know, actually but, live it. But, yeah, you learn real quick, like, oh, this is not what I thought it was. And it's where we, during this trip, is where we get some of these stories that definitely, you can just see, like, some of this was, like, pulled and made into scenes yeah. in the film where it's, like, they, they capture a tank crew and they all look like young young American youths almost, mm-hmm. and they let him interview him, but then afterwards they're going to kill him, and he just has to see them get gunned down. Yeah, that's brutal. Just and then brutal. there's a, another part later where it's like they're in the mountains, and he had come down. He was like sick, I believe. Something was yeah, wrong with him. Like he really couldn't move. He and was... Yeah, he could barely walk, and so they just leave him. They leave him with a little bit of food and water, and they leave him a gun with it was like two or three bullets. It was like two bullets. Yeah, two bullets. It was like one. In case he fucks up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the backup to finish it. Yeah. And it was like he well, he crawled like to a nearby cave with all his strength mm-hmm. to just try to get out of the sun. And eventually it's like a, a local village boy finds him. Yeah, they thought he was a Russian. Mm-hmm. So they're going to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they end up like bringing him back to the village and they take care of him and nurse him back to health. And there was like a doctor there, I want to say, that mm-hmm. he could speak English. Yeah. And he was able to like relate with him. And it was a thing he says where it's like when they left him on the mountain... Um, his guide that he was with says like, well, we think that like Allah will just like write the time that you're going to pass on yeah. and it's already decided. He writes your fate on your forehead. Mm-hmm. And so he's a Calvinist. And he tells him maybe it's your fate to die on this mountain. Maybe not. Mm-hmm. If you do, then that's just what it was. And so later they come back through the village and they're surprised to find him alive. And his guide tells them, well, it wasn't your time to die then. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> it makes life so much easier if you buy into that. True. Yeah. And if you don't, you're just cursed with depression. <laughs> so he has all these insane insane experiences, and then he comes back and he makes this play. And in the shake of things, like the outline of it gets sent to Kevin Reynolds. Yes. It's forwarded by somebody. He's very interested in it, and he goes to see the play. And he, he talked about how it was this lavish thing where they actually had like a big prop tank on the stage mm-hmm. that they used. And when he saw it, the first thought he had was, this is, like, really good. Like, I like the story. I like the themes. But it needs to be a movie. Yeah. yeah. And so he, he talks to him, and he says, like, hey, write this into a screenplay, and we will make it. It will it'll be a movie. It needs to be a movie. Absolutely. <laughs> and so he rewrote it, and it became the screenplay of The Beast. And uh, Kevin Reynolds would go on to direct, notably, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves... Love and Waterworld. Do you so, love Waterworld? I think it's a very problematic film, but I think it's got a lot of cool, <laughs> cool ideas there. Sure, sure. I'm, I liked it a lot as a kid, mm-hmm. and then I watched um, Road Warrior when I grew up, and I was like, "Oh, this is Road Warrior on water." Yeah. yeah. Apparently, there's a crazy director's cut now version of it really? that Arrow put out. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I wouldn't mind seeing it. I wonder what's different about it. I don't know. Topic for another time, perhaps. I always remember being scared by the giant uh, alligator mutated thing yeah. that he ends up catching and eating. <laughs> Pretty crazy. <laughs> and so this, we need to get into the thing about, like, he uh, in the original you know, letter that Nick sent us, he said it only aired on, like, two screens. So in the wake of this, they make this film. Uh, it had a budget of $8 million. Mm-hmm. They finish it. It's a great film. And they're doing this for Columbia Pictures. Yep. 
as this is going on, Columbia Pictures is kind of changing hands, and the ownership of the studio changed. Mm-hmm. So the guy they had before, he was all on board with this. New guy comes in, completely you know fresh slate for everything, and he wasn't quite as interested in the project, and who should turn up but Sylvester Stallone with the idea for Rambo 3. Which they thought would be much more profitable, and, and they were probably right in their defense. And it's set in <laughs> Afghanistan... So, of course, this is where you get the dumb, like, executive mm-hmm. thinking where it's like, well, we can't have two films at the same time. Yeah, about- why not? Two completely different movies yeah. that deal sort of with the same conflict, but in completely different ways. It's not like, you know, they're going to confuse them. How would they ever know, like, this one's got a tank, this one's got Rambo? <laughs> you know, that's those are just equ- equivalent ideas, apparently. Yeah, so they just dump it on the two screens. Yep, so they... explains why I never heard of this thing in the 80s. They shuttered it, they buried it, they put it on two screens to fulfill contractual obligations so it could qualify for awards. Uh, they released it in New York and Los Angeles. It ran for a few weeks, then withered away, and their box office was only $161,004. Ouch. Uh, that's gotta be so frustrating for the filmmakers. It's just... you bleed for this movie and then it's just but how often I mean that happens so much yeah and so we go back to the letter that Nick sent us and there are no critical reviews on Rotten Tomatoes because there's nothing to source really I'm sure it got some reviews in like you know magazines or something but papers you know it's business lost to time now at this point which is just crazy to me shame I figured that was I I didn't know that when I was thinking about this and I, I wrote down thinking to myself that I'm pretty sure this did not get released widely because it's not your typical 80s you know chest thumping jingoistic mm-hmm. yay america right type of movie that was being made then it's much more thoughtful and complex i think right um and to this day maestro simone he still thinks this was his best work that he ever made he's gone on to do other plays other screenplays and stuff mm-hmm. ton of, tons of work but this one has always been like special to him yeah as it should be. Because I think it's in that article. He talks about how like he, he really felt like the situation that was going over there. And there were people that told him, like, no one really knows our story. Like, no one in the U.S. truly understands it. And he thought, if I can in any way like bring that to a wider audience. And I think this um, arguably gives us a more nuanced and more interesting look into uh, Afghanistan Mujahideen than Rambo 3 did. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I also think this this also lines up a whole lot more if you talk to um, American soldiers that have served in Afghanistan and you talk to them about their experiences with the people of Afghanistan. This lines up. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot more of... It's almost like how long... How many more times do you have to say, please leave us the fuck alone? Yeah. And, and that's the thing is like maybe this film should have been wide release because it's just a few years later and oh here we are doing the exact same thing that they're doing in the film. Yep. To the same like zero sum game. Yeah. Like I mean I I get it. There's it's a lot deeper than that. I know there's mm-hmm. a lot more political. Oh yeah. Things going on than that. And there are people in Afghanistan that truly want to be liberated from their oppressors because there are oppressive regimes just like every other thing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like. It nothing. It's never worked. Yeah. Like I mean, there's. What are you gonna do? <laughs> like, <laughs> clear. Russia couldn't do it. America couldn't do it. Yeah. Like, you're running out of superpowers. <laughs> <laughs> China's like, we don't want anything to do with that. It's futile. Yeah. No doubt. So yeah, that was. Yeah. I think it's it's very interesting because like there's so much the story of the film being made is as interesting as the film itself is to watch. Oh, absolutely. 
I'm really happy this suggestion came in too because this also has one of the shittiest covers. Yeah. Well, it's very generic. Um, it's yeah, just... we watched this on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. It's streaming on Prime. <laughs> Speaking of, <laughs> it's on Prime. It's rated R for, amongst other things, nudity and sexual content. I didn't see any of that. Mm. No, there wasn't any, and I saw that. and I'm like, oh, well, that could be bad. Is there like some rape or something going on? Because that's you know warfare. Yeah, right. Soviets did that. Um, but no, there was nothing none of that. I'm <laughs> thinking, oh, you know what? Amazon has this confused with the 1975 film The Beast. Which is a problem with the title because there's a ton of films named The Beast. Right. And this one is by Valerian Borzik. Mm-hmm. And it's... Uh, hmm, it, hmm, there are sexually <laughs> explicit scenes in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about this monster that is... There's one scene where there's... Like, it, it's probably in the girl's mind. But anyway, it's this monster <laughs> with this giant phallus that's attacking the girl, and she has to kill it by oh. giving it a handjob. So, of course, oh. you've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's save hilarious. That, save that for the Urotsuki Doji block. <laughs> I just think it's hilarious they have that confused with that movie. And that's what I would say. Like, the alternate... <laughs> the title is The Beast, but the alternative title is The Beast of War. And if you're going to look for this and you don't know the year 1988 off the top of your head... It may be better to search with the Beast of War because when you just go the Beast with no year, yeah. like the Beast film, there's a lot of like static in there that's going to get in the way. Right. I even had to message you guys when I was watching it, like because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I was trying to search Beast of War on Amazon, nothing came up. I tried to search Beast of War just in my Roku, like tell me where this is streaming, nothing comes up. And I was like, what the fuck is the name of this movie? And Dustin's like, Dustin's like, well, it's technically Beast of War, but you got to search The Beast on Amazon. And that is typical Dustin thing. Mm. of like, Which really, I think The Beast is the better title, because that's that David and Goliath story, like metaphorically sure, thrown in there. Sure. But it is awfully generic, though. That's the, yeah, that's the unfortunate thing, is there's so many The Beast. And people are going to confuse it with the Borzik movie. So, mm. Or the roller coaster at King's Island. <laughs> <laughs> Great coaster. Ah, that's more of a Still local thing. But, you know. Still one of the best. I know, some people have probably been... I don't know. It's a famous you know, coaster. I'm it's sure a wooden roller coaster. World, Shout out to King's Island, man, right in, if you've ever been. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's film-related, because they used to have the Paramount license. Uh-huh. That's true, yeah. yeah. They had the Days of Thunder ride. Yeah. Outer Limits, Flight of Fear. Yeah, that's Loved a that. good coaster too. Yeah. Top oh, yeah. Gun, Top Gun was fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, shut up. I think their last one before they closed was like the Italian Job. I have vertigo. I can't do roller coasters, and, you're, and I can't do loops. And you're like, it's fine if you're. A... Never Say mind. it. No? no, it's okay for a light coaster. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. It's okay for children. Okay, so I think I think we're pretty much. Does anyone have anything else before final thoughts? I'd like to see you fucking do the beast now, you old ass. Oh, I'll do it. It'll beat the <laughs> shit out of you. And actually, the waiting in line will beat the shit out of me. The next day, you're going to be like, my back hurts. <laughs> okay, sorry. Any other thoughts before we wrap up? I think I'm good. Okay, so Michael, final thoughts? I'm going four and a half. Mm. I really dug this movie. Um, not a whole lot that I have any problems with, other than what I mentioned about the grenade thing. But, mm-hmm. you know, how many people survive grenades in movies all the time and you're like okay well you should it just blows up a little puff of dirt don't you know that yeah and you just go flying a little bit just need a squid hey maybe it was a dud no i'm pretty sure it was real kill that dog (laughs) it clearly wasn't a dog absorbed most of the shrapnel it was a wild dog it's already half dead man um i'm really glad nick wrote us and about this about this film thank you so much man i think your pursuit of wanting to like boost the levels on this movie is a very very noble cause i think it's not that often that someone will 
tell us that we should watch a movie that I've never fucking heard of. Yeah. Which is pretty difficult for us because, I mean, we're pretty big film nerds. And so I'm not the biggest on war movies in general. But so when I got it, I was like, oh, of course, I don't know what this is, Jason. And then you were like, oh, yeah, I never heard of it. I mean, I've watched a shit ton of them. I watched them a lot with my grandfather. Mm -hmm. You know, anything that played on TV, I watched. Mm -hmm. And then I sought them out a lot because I wasn't into horror for the longest time, so I sought out action films and like action war. Those are my go-to's, mm-hmm. and so I saw all of them, and I've never, I'd never heard of this movie. So, yeah. um, I was really surprised to see really how deep it was. Yeah, like I was kind of expecting. I can believe that it was a play once I learned that. Oh, sure, right. Yeah. Like I'll be honest, one of the things that almost put me off about this was the mention of Tarantino in it. Yeah, because. That doesn't do a lot for me. When somebody's like, well, Tarantino, Tarantino this, Tarantino that. I mean, say what you will about Tarantino. He does have good taste uh-huh. in movies. Anyway. Yeah, but also at the same time, a lot of those get overblown. Sure. To where I'm like, okay, I don't really, whatever. Like, Switchblade Sisters really that good. Or also when he keeps referencing <laughs> it shit. It is pretty good. Actually. Like, one of my biggest, okay, side small side rant. <laughs> one of my biggest issues with Kill Bill is when they start talking about Shogun Assassin. And I'm like, don't talk about Shogun Assassin. Talk about the full movies. Yeah. Talk about Lone Wolf and Cub. Don't give me the sure, cut versions. But, but, but that, well, that was how they saw <laughs> Shogun it, Assassin was probably seen by more people than all the actual movies. Oh, it's Quentin Tarantino. He can promote whatever he wants by that time. <laughs> if he's not promoting. I think, I think that's more in line with the Grindhouse reality because that's what most people would have seen. But if he's not promoting the box set of Lone <laughs> oh, Wolf and God. Cub. Criterion. Excellent set, too. I don't want it. Okay, that's, so anyway. that's extremely nitpicky. Okay, I love right. Lone Wolf and Cub, so oh, I'm kind of with you there. It's extremely nitpicky coming from you. That's rich. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, anyway, back on topic. Yep. So, so what would you give this score-wise? I already said yeah, four and a half. <laughs> you're like, what would you give this? Oh, yeah. I was trying to just steer us back. I, I remember you said what you'd give it. Yeah, four and a half. I really, really liked it. Was unsure that I would like it at first. Kind of got sucked into it. Realized it was a lot deeper than what I was expecting. Super solid film. Nice. I'll go next because you're the war film expert. Sure. Oh, I don't know about that, but okay. Among us, perhaps. Yeah, well. Um. So yeah, war movies aren't usually my thing. It's not that I don't really have an aversion to them. It's just nothing I'll ever think to seek out. And that's why I love doing what we're doing with this because like, this is a movie I would never see if left to my own devices. Hmm. But because someone's recommended it to us, I was able to come to it and check it out. And man, I really, really loved it. And I think it's what you're saying, Michael. There's so much more like layering and nuance to this. Not typical of war movies. Because mm-hmm. there, there are those big action set pieces, but there's so much more like depth to the story and the characters and everything that plays out. And it just impressed me like start to finish at every level. I will think, I'll say if I could give any criticism, I think the music's like a little forgettable. It's a little generic, yeah. Uh, there's nothing about it that like strikes you or like really like hits on the big moments or anything, but. Sure. When that's like the worst thing I can summon up to say about it, like, uh, I'm with you, Nick, man. Like, Shout Factory, Criterion, someone, the Blu-ray is bought the second it comes out. So, I would give it five stars. Oh, wow. Damn. I really loved it. Nice. Nick, you might make a war movie fan out of Dustin yet. (laughs) Oh, my turn. Okay. Um, Well, since it did not have the nudity and sexual content, I was promised. (laughs) Instant negative one star. (laughs) I'm, I liked it a lot. I think it's really impressive. It's 
I could definitely see why it's not more well known other than just the fact that the studio just fucked it over. Because mm-hmm. it is thoughtful. Uh, I can't really fault it for anything. I I want to give it four stars. Huh. I don't know why I'm not giving it higher, to be honest with you. Because you have a reputation to uphold. <laughs> not everything can get five. Um, but, I mean, it's a solid, fun movie. I was never bored. I was always engaged. Um it's cool to see a good eighties film I I'd missed because I just, I missed that style so much. I miss mm-hmm. movies actually shot on film. I watched, um, matrix resurrections recently. That's a rebuke. It is. Fuck it. And it's, it, it's like $200 million <laughs> movie and it looks like shit. It looks like uh-huh. something made yeah. for Netflix. And I'm like, you have all this money and this is the best looking movie you can make. Mm-hmm. Whereas an $8 million movie, granted 1980s dollars, but still it's a low budget. Yeah. Looks beautiful and still looks great. And with so much practical yeah. effects work. Yeah, it's it's so much fun. If you like more movies at all, check it out. You will dig it. I give it four stars. Nice. Well, we said it several times, but thank you, Nick, for writing in about this movie. Please, if you have a movie that you love, that you champion out there, that you think is just great or underloved, or you want more people to see it, write into us, let us know. We'll add it to our collection, and at some point, we'll get around to it for an episode. Yeah. Yeah, we don't plan on stopping doing this anytime soon. Yep, these are going to be our breaks between our little series of uh, themed blocks of movies. Nice segue, Dustin. Which brings us to the next topic at hand. <laughs> wow, what? it's almost like he wrote that. I know. Kind of off the cuff, man. It's... <laughs> Um, yeah. So, yeah, if you've paid attention to any of the previous episodes that have released, we've been talking about that we are going to switch formats just a tiny bit, mm-hmm. uh, just to kind of rein us in a little bit and kind of focus on some things we accidentally did Yeah. Um, in our first year. Which I think with the Giallo thing, I think we had some neat through lines, episode to episode, film yeah. to film, some yeah. that we didn't even plan it's almost like we know what we're doing mm-hmm. sometimes. Vaguely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. not we, go crazy here. Spoiler, we don't. <laughs> um so it's my pick mm-hmm. this time. So it's I get to choose the block. And we have this giant list running between all of us of like yeah. all these ideas that we have. Um, but I'm going to start off out of the gate with Westerns. Oh, my wish is granted. And um, we are going to do our best to kind of stay away from some of the Westerns that you probably grew up on. As best we can. Yeah, as best we can. But like, If you were like a diehard, you've probably seen anything we could muster up. But Yeah, but like there's, you know, like. How many more? How much more can we add to the conversation about the Good, Man, and the Ugly, right? Or High Plains Drifter, or I do love that movie though. So yeah, it's fucking awesome. So it's good. great. So, good. Um, so I am going to go for a film that I absolutely love out of 1985, I believe. Uh, yep, 1985. Um, film called Silverado. Uh, Jason, I know you've seen this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you actually the one who told me I should watch it. Yeah. a long time ago. Yeah. I have never seen it, so... No, no, this, this is one of those old movies on VHS I'd watch with my dad, you know. Yeah, nice. it's, nice. it's a classic. It's it's kind of lighthearted, a mm-hmm. little bit on the goofy side, um, starring Kevin Kline. Um, and like a bunch uh, of people. Yeah, it's, it's kind of an, one of those all-star cast ensemble films where each... Where big names that, mm-hmm. like, weren't maybe as big at the time, but they'd, like, pop into the movie and you're like, oh, there's so-and-so. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is actually super easy to watch. This is, I believe, streaming on Amazon Prime. Nice, uh, okay. Sticking with Prime. Yeah. Well, you know, it's because you hate Netflix, so we can't watch anything on there. If it's sure there, I'll, if it's, it's what we do, it's what we do. Uh, but yeah, great cast. A lot film that I think is just a ton of fun. 
Um, and definitely underseen, because usually when you're talking to people about westerns, if I mention Silverado, they're like, uh. mm. I think it's an Eagle song or something. Yeah. <laughs> That's Desperado. Cool. You, oh. you can join us next time, and we'll dig into that and dig into westerns, and we'll see how it evolves across the next few episodes. As always, thank you guys so much um, for joining in on our journey with us. Um, keep writing. Keep commenting. Just some more good movies. Like yeah. The Beast. Even if... Dude, I, I will straight up tell you, even if we don't end up being able to cover these, we're going to watch them. Yep, at some point. Mm-hmm. And um, we will do our best to give it its credit. You know, there's only so many that we can watch. So we'll do our best to give it its due. Um, but until then, yeah, keep writing, keep suggesting, doing all those things. As always, you've been listening to Genre Exposure. Bye, everyone. Take care. listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media the pfpn hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com thanks for listening